Hi, I'm Disraeli Smith, interview editor with the Georgetown Public Policy Review. Recently, the Georgetown Institute of Politics and Public Service at the McCourt School of Public Policy held Clinton 25, a series of events celebrating Georgetown's own President Clinton's election as the 42nd President of the United States. Many former campaign and White House staffers, as well as President Clinton, came to Georgetown to celebrate this moment. Today, we're joined by Mac Millarty, childhood friend and President Clinton's first chief of staff from 1993 to 1994. I hope you enjoy this special edition of the GPPR podcast. Good afternoon. This is uh, Disraeli Smith, interview editor with the Georgetown Public Policy Review, and we've been here the last few days at the Clinton 25 events, uh, celebrating Bill Clinton's 25th anniversary of being elected as the 42nd President of the United States. Uh, I don't want to spoil my guest, so I will allow him to introduce himself and give a little bit about his experiences uh, working for President Clinton. Disraeli, I'm delighted to be with you. It's great to be on the Georgetown campus. Our older son, Mark, is a 1995 Hoya graduate, so it's a good reunion, homecoming in that sense, as well as a 25-year Clinton reunion, as you noted in your intro. Uh, I've had the good fortune to know President Clinton since we were both uh, uh, children, so it's been a lifelong friendship. I never worked for him until I came to Washington. I had helped uh, establish the New Democrat movement, which uh, President Governor Clinton ran on as, as a candidate. Uh, I am a third generation and a fourth generation now family business endeavor in the transportation sector. Uh, I was chairman, had the privilege to serve as chairman and chief executive of uh, New York Stock Exchange Company, Fortune 100 Natural Gas Company, before coming to Washington as President Clinton's first chief of staff, served in the White House for six and a half years as a member of the cabinet. Uh, after government, uh, I formed an international advisory firm with Dr. Henry Kissinger, Kissinger McClarty. Uh, McClarty Associates now, we're on our 20th year, and I divide my time between Washington and Little Rock, but still have our family home and hope. So I'm delighted to be with you today, discuss some of the issues of the day, and maybe reminisce a little bit about the Clinton presidency. Yeah, thanks, Mac, and I think that's really great. So let's just jump right in yes, um, and do a little reminiscing. You just <laughs> said you, you had never worked for him. Yep. You've known him since what, kindergarten. You right. never worked for him until you got to Washington. What were your experiences like as a friend, yep. you know, seeing him grow up in Hope, grow right. up in Arkansas, and right. eventually become president? Well, lifelong friendships are special, and one of the concerns I had about working with the president uh, was would our friendship be, you know, affected by that. But just really, it's it's very hard uh, when a friend of long standing, a governor of your home state, someone that you share a political philosophy with, asks you to help him uh, to serve the country after he's been elected president of the United States, not to answer that call to duty. So I was had the good fortune and privilege to do that. Uh, President Clinton moved from Hope when he was about seven to Hot Springs where he really grew up. We did stay in pretty good touch and then really got in closer touch when we were both in high school. Uh, I was a Hearst fella here uh, in Washington. He went to Boys Nation. We both went to Boys State together. Uh, We visited each other in college. I'd come to Georgetown for a, a visit. He would come to the University of Arkansas. In fact, he was there when Senator Barry Goldwater spoke. Okay. We have a great picture of that. I always thought the Republicans might try to use that picture against him, but thank goodness they never did. But I watched him grow just like we all do. I watched him be governor of Arkansas. I think that was a great 
foundational experience for him to be president, as we discussed in our session earlier today. And you talked a lot about your international experience. Right. Um, and one of the things that President Clinton did was, you know, strike the NAFTA deal yep. uh, and actually bring free trade between, you know, right. our neighboring right. uh, countries to the north and right. south. You know, and our current president thinks NAFTA is a joke. It's the worst, you know, second worst deal of all time behind, you know, TPP. You know, what are your thoughts on on NAFTA and the role that it plays not only for our foreign policy and our trade policy, but right. domestic policy as well? Well, just, right, just to quickly speak to that, I think you raised some great questions. Uh, Questions and points uh, in your in your uh, inquiry. Uh, I think President Clinton came at a time in 1992, 1993, when the world was beginning to change. It was becoming so much more interconnected, and of course, it's only accelerated since then with internet communications and all the forms of communications that you and your fellow students here at Georgetown are so much more adept at than than I am. So I think uh, the President Clinton understood that intersection and kind of where the world was going. And I think it's the, it's the real world. You have to deal with it and try to harness that interconnectivity uh, to work for the American people. You can't deny reality, which is what I think our current president may well be doing. I think trade, look, it is a difficult issue. There are some winners and losers. But there's just no question with the United States having 5% of the world's population, 95% is outside the United States in terms of population and, and economic growth. We've got to export to those markets. We've got to make trade work for the American people. And those that are affected by trade, but even more so disrupted by technology in the changing world, we've got to really work hard to, to, to make sure those people do not get left behind, to give them a hand up and give them an opportunity. So uh, that's the way I view trade in general. But there's just no question when goods move, soldiers don't. And so I think trade is a, a way to really help establish stability uh, and, and really uh, peace around the world in addition to economic uh, progress. I think that's a great point um, with uh, you know the progress that can be made uh, both economically and beyond. But one, I want to come back on the thing that you mentioned. You know, when goods move, soldiers don't. Right. Uh, and it seems that you know in the last several years we've you know had an itchy trigger finger um, <laughs> in terms of our military yeah. involvement. Um, and it immediately comes to mind North Korea. You know, right, right now as we're right. talking, the president is in Asia. You know, trying to argue. You know, and talk to our Asian allies about right. the North Korean threat. Right. You know, is that the most concerning threat to this country, or is it more you know technology uh, and the future of jobs and the future of work and the people who are going to be left behind because of emerging technology, the, the reality we have refused to admit. Well, Disraeli, you, you make the right point. I think any presidency at the end of the day will be judged by how well uh, a president led the country uh, and, and how peace and prosperity were achieved. And I would say that peace now needs to have a slash for for security because national security uh, has become personal security. People are concerned with terrorism and so forth. After 9-11, the world changed. Obviously, we did not deal with that. So there's a lot of challenges in a changing world. And as I noted today in our panel, you can hear the tectonic plate shifting. But I think you have to say that North Korea is a serious threat with a nuclear threat. It has implications within the region. We're going to have to get China to work with us in some way to try to mitigate that threat. I think diplomacy is absolutely essential. Uh, I'm not sure our current president 
is, is, is using all the levers of diplomacy. I hope he is. I hope he's talking to our Asian allies, including uh, Mr. Abe in Japan, who he's meeting with today. He's got an important meeting coming up with President Xi. Uh, but you also raise another point, and, and I really believe it, to, 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 to be strong abroad, we've got to be strong at home. So we do face challenges here with our federal deficit, with wages and jobs not growing, particularly wages. Uh, I think we just have to set a much better uh, framework uh, in terms of our economic development to, to really have a rising tide lift all boats. So I think we've got a number of challenges. Uh, I think the American people, frankly, are very frustrated, very angry that Washington is not working uh, to make their lives better, and they have a right to expect that. Yeah, one of the things you just mentioned, and that's been a theme this whole kind of last couple of days, you know, to be strong at home, you know, for us to be strong abroad, we got to be strong at home. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think if history looks back at President Clinton, he was clearly strong at home. The economy grew, we had a balanced budget, you know, all of those things. Yep. What do you think his biggest strength was as a president? And did, you know, obviously we all have weaknesses, but if you had to pick one, you know, what would you pick? I think uh, I think he had a clear vision of where he wanted to leave the country. I think, as I said today, he had a specific plan, i.e. policies about how to get that done, not just a dream. And that was his North Star. And his North Star truly, uh, in his heart of hearts, was putting people first, is what his campaign theme was, but that, that's the reason he got into public service. So that's how I would encapsulate his his uh, his core strength and characteristic that you that you asked me about. And a weakness, if any? Oh, I think uh, one. It was pretty easy for him to try to do too much too quickly. Uh, I think that can be a weakness. Uh, I think any president that makes decisions is going to make some wrong decisions. And we're all human. Uh, I think he had uh, some personal frailties that. Uh, have a tarnish on his presidency, but I think will be hopefully looked at by history in a proportional manner. I think his popularity post-presidency suggests that's the case. I think he would go back to some of the tragedies that happened in Africa that he did not see that clearly and act earlier and more decisively. Uh, again, uh, we're all human beings. Right. We're all going to have frailties, fallacies, foibles, and we're all going to make mistakes. But you know, Disraeli, not making a decision is a decision, and that can be the biggest mistake of all. So I think the president acted in a very thoughtful, serious, informed, decisive manner, and I think history will judge him very favorably. As a chief of staff, you got to build an amazing team. We've met a lot of practitioners who served uh, with President Clayton in a variety of roles over the past couple of days. Amazing talent who's gone on to do bigger and better uh, things. What was it like as that first chief of staff building a team, and what advice would you give policymakers such as myself who want to go into politics one day about building a staff and building a team? Uh, take a deep breath, work hard, and, and hope for a little good luck along the way. Uh, no, I think coming in as chief of staff, it was a great privilege. Uh, as I said earlier, we come in after 12 years of the other party having the White House, so you did have to get a whole new team in place to reflect President Clinton and what he wanted to do. I think we built a very cohesive cabinet. I, I think that's very important to do. I don't think this president has done that in the same way. Um, 
but you have a lot of dedicated people, but you've got to keep your eyes on the prize. And this really importantly, and I think you touch on it with your insightful question, and I'm very concerned about this administration, you have to pivot from campaigning to governing. That's what the people elected you to do. And it's easy to make criticisms or campaign promises in a campaign, but then you have to govern. You have to get things done. You have to put a team in place and execute. And uh, we passed our economic plan, our deficit reduction plan, Family Medical Leave Act, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which you've already noted. Uh, we got things done, and the president stepped on the world stage that first year in a, in a, a pretty seamless, thoughtful way. And I think, as I noted, President Clinton was elected with 43% of the vote uh, because there was a third-party candidate, right. Ross Perot, who got 19. So you had a pretty divided country, is my point. At the end of the first year, his popularity was 58%. So he consolidated that and brought people together rather than separating them. So that's what I think needs to be done. And then lastly, um, as we wrap up, obviously this is a moment of reflection. Um, you know, and everyone has talked about President Clinton and his yeah. willingness to serve and what yep. he learned at Georgetown. Yep. You know, aside from that, any anecdotes as a childhood friend who's known him probably longer than anybody we'll hear from today, mm -hmm. um, anything you'd share with our listeners um, as they think and reflect back on President Clinton? Yeah. Well, I think I think it is a time to, to, to have a little bit of, you know, walk down memory lane and reminisce, but it's also time to learn from history and bring it forward to the present and the future. I think that typifies Bill Clinton. As far as, you know, moments and so forth, I, I would say that rather than, you know, a, a singular antidote, we've obviously had great moments of joy, laughter, and frankly of challenging some pain along the way as, as well that you just inevitably have when you share a life together and the way we have in terms of friendship and in terms of, of work. But I think it, it, it's certainly meaningful to me that that friendship has endured and strengthened over the years and that's probably the right note to leave this interview on. Perfect. Well, I just want to thank you um, for sitting down with us, for coming back and sharing your wisdom uh, at the Clinton 25 Symposium. Um, I hope our listeners get something out of this. So thank you, sir. It was really my pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of the GPPR podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more content from the Georgetown Public Policy Review, check out our website at www.gppreview.com, our Twitter at GP Policy Review, or our Facebook, GPP Review. Thank you.